Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we have the opportunity from one week to the next to engage this most popular topic, theology of the body. You know, over recent weeks, I have been asked, you know, Joe, what book should I be reading if I want to respond to all of those hot-button issues? Abortion, homosexuality, the assault on marriage and family life. Well, you start with what we've been doing here, huh? I mean, from the very beginning, we have been treating uh, Theology of the Body for Beginners, uh, Christopher West's work, The Love That Satisfies, and we have started his latest work, Fill These Hearts. And my dear friends, if you have been a faithful listener, you know well that as we have been hitting these books, we have been touching upon all of the key principles that one needs to have at their fingertips to be able to respond to all of those hot-button issues, to all of those questions that we are being asked as faithful Christians and Catholics each and every day. So uh, there's a reason I know why this night and this topic is so popular, because we are being asked so many questions. So I can never encourage you enough to just not continue to tune into this radio program by the grace of God go I and our guests, but uh, to really get into the books that we're reading and any other books that you can get your hands on as it relates to God and sexuality, theology of the body, if you want to respond and have that coherent conversation um, with our brothers and sisters in Christ about all of these hot-button issues, because certainly it's not going away. (laughs) 2015, uh, these questions are going to uh, only increase. Uh, If you were to ask me what one question has increased over the last year, it is any one question that is tied to to marriage, family life, uh, certainly uh, homosexuality. So what we're about here is not only relevant for our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how we are uh, better called to live out our faith, but also in how we share our faith. So all very important. And this is what lies at the heart of John Paul II's own vision, that we might have a better understanding of who we are before God in our sexuality, that we might better live out our faith, but also to better evangelize and catechize. Okay, with that, let us jump in to fill these hearts. And, you know, what we'll do is just offer up a, a brief review. This work, again, is a work of Christopher West. And I'll just go to uh, his words that really describes what this book is about. He says this, For a few years now, I've been working with a team of seasoned artists and musicians developing a live event that incorporates popular music, movie clips, YouTube videos, and other artistic works into a contemporary exposition of the gospel. Typically presented in theaters rather than in churches, it's an attempt to step out into the main streets, as Jesus said, and invite everyone to the wedding feast. This book is named after that live event and takes the same approach in written form. As I noted last week, you know, (laughs) what Christopher West 
is doing today with this subject matter as it relates to going into the streets really brings us back to Acts 17, does it not? Because where does Paul go? He goes into the very heart of the culture. He goes into the main streets, if you will. He goes to where but the Areopagus, you know, the, the cultural marketplace. And so what Christopher West is doing with this work is essentially going into the heart of where people are at and evangelizing them where they're at and bringing them and calling them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, now, this book is broken down into three parts, huh? Desire, design, and destiny, huh? By desire, we are not talking about trivial desires and and superficial wants, but that universal ache and longing we feel as human beings for something, which as we discuss from one week to the next is a longing for not something, but someone, and just not a, a significant other, but the person of Jesus Christ, huh? By design, we speak to God's loving design for our happiness as men and women, huh? If God is the author of our humanity, He's also then the author of our human desire, which includes what? But our sexual desire. So once again, one of the great works of the adversary is to get us thinking that God has nothing to do with this desire. And my dear friends, there can be nothing farther than the truth. Let us go back to the fall. Genesis 3.1. What do we read? But the serpent was subtle. When you translate that Hebrew, what you get is an exploitation of nakedness. huh? In other words, since the very beginning, Satan has been inverting our understanding of sexuality. Essentially, this work, Fill These Hearts, takes up that great question. What does the very design of our bodies as male and female tell us about God's plan for our lives? This is the quest of theology of the body. Remember what the word theology means in its classical sense, right? Fides quorens intellectum, faith-seeking understanding. So theology of the body is about looking at our bodies theologically and seeking a better understanding of how we are created in the image and likeness of God, how in our maleness or our femaleness we are created in the image and likeness of God. So very important. This is what we intend to mean by design. How about destiny? Well, here we speak to our eternal destiny. We are created for bliss. A key word to theology of the body, huh? We are created for bliss, for ecstasy. And our hearts know it. (laughs) According to our Christian faith, the ecstasy that we yearn for at the deepest level of our being is precisely what God wants to give us eternally. This is the good news. Again, what does the word gospel mean? Good news, uh, transforming news, transforming message. It's interesting. The word destiny comes from the Latin destinare, which literally means to aim at. Wherever we aim, that is where we will arrive. Our desires have a 
trajectory. Every decision we make heads us in a particular direction. So the question that begs to be asked is, are we allowing our desires to lead us downward or upward? Certainly this huge topic we will continue to explore throughout uh, these upcoming months. As Christopher West notes, in the end, this book and its intention will help us aim our desires according to God's design so we can safely arrive at our what? Eternal destiny. This is what it's about, my friends. So when we talk about desire, design, and destiny, what we are talking about are those salient features to theology of the body and better understanding it, and so this is what we're about. Now, last week, I left off on page 8, so if you have your books out there, fill these hearts, and you want to follow along with the reading and my reflections, certainly, you can uh, just flip to page 8, and if you don't have the work out there, I know some of you have said it really helps to have the work, others not so much, whatever uh, works for you. By the way, I know last week I noted that Derek Ellen um, and or Chris Seibert were going to be with me this week. They are both unable to join me this week, so they will uh, join me starting next week. All right, so picking up where we left off from last week and this subtitle, Seeking Union, which has us, my friends, looking at how the yearning of eros, that much-discussed topic of erotic human love, reveals simply that we are incomplete, and that we are in this constant search for another to make sense of ourselves. Although that yearning originates deep in our souls, it is also, this is key to John Paul II, manifested in our bodies. We can say that our bodies tell the story of our incompleteness, more specifically, those parts of our bodies that distinguish us as male and female. Think about it, my friends. A man's body makes no sense by itself, and a woman's body makes no sense by itself. Seen in light of each other, the picture becomes, we can say, complete. We go together. Now, some of you out there, you hear the word complete. Maybe you're thinking of that line from Jerry Maguire. You know, that line maybe we've heard many times, you complete me. Well, yes, every time male and female consummate their marriage, they say to one another, what? You complete me. Because essentially, male and female belong together. So important when you start getting to the heart of what it's all about. Now, some would still ask, is this merely a biological reality that resulted from some random evolution? Or, or is this a loving God trying to tell us something fundamental about who He is and who we are by creating us this way? Christopher West poses, you know, consider the possibility that human sexuality, our maleness and femaleness, and the call to completion is in itself a message from God. You know, that line from Christopher West had me thinking about the word message, huh? Think about it. It comes from the Latin misus, which literally translates a sending away. You've heard me talk about mass. 
Mass comes from the Latin missio, to send forth, right? We enter into this nuptial union with God in the Eucharist, and then we are, what? Sent forth to proclaim the Word of God and to live the Word of God. My dear friends, God has left us a message in our very bodies, and our bodies have this way of proclaiming the good news when we see it in light of God. I love that. So we ought to see that our bodies tell a story that reveals, as we learn how to read it, that is, our bodies, the very meaning of our existence and the path to ultimate satisfaction and our deepest desires. Now, from the Christian point of view, our creation as male and female is a sacramental reality. And by that, we speak to a physical sign of something transcendent, spiritual, and we can say even divine. In the biblical understanding, there exists a profound unity between that which is physical and that which is spiritual. My dear friends, this means that our bodies are not mere shells in which our true spiritual selves live. No, we are a profound unity of body and soul matter and spirit. In a very real way, we are our bodies. Once again, this speaks to the sacramentality of our body. And the many images we can play around with when you start to think about this more critically, hmm? that when we are happy, we laugh. When we are sad, we cry. When we are embarrassed, we blush. Things that are unseen are made known by what is seen. Okay? Tears, laughter, red cheeks, huh? <laughs> we can also see this truth in the fact that if, uh, as Christopher West notes, if I were to haul off in a fit of rage and break somebody's jaw, he wouldn't sue me for property damages, no, but he'd sue me for personal assault. Our living bodies are our living selves. And this means our bodily maleness or femaleness speaks to our deepest identity as persons. As John Paul II has observed on more than one occasion, our bodies show us who we are and at the same time who we are meant to be. Indeed, you know, the moment we are born, and today we can see this even in sonograms, we are personally identified by our sex organs, right? We say it's a boy or it's a girl. And as this sexual identity develops and matures, it begins to express itself as an undeniable cry of the heart for a completeness. For all of you out there, <laughs> who doesn't remember the tumultuous years of puberty, when that sense of incompleteness is awakened and the yearning of Eros presents itself with all of its angst and mayhem. I remember when I taught seventh grade over at our local private school. It was something else, especially with the boys. And the words angst and mayhem barely begin to scratch the surface. <laughs> Certainly, we've all encountered that. You know, if you were to pull back and think about poetry, myths, literature, the whole world explores this link between sexuality and man's quest for what? Something more. 
for completeness, happiness, fulfillment. We've talked about the ancients before. Plato believed that the human being was originally spherical and complete in himself, but was later split in two by the god Zeus as a punishment for pride. What did Plato go on to say? Well, that men and women were constantly seeking their other half, longing to rediscover their original integrity. What do you see Plato doing here? Well, he's speaking to the integrity of the bond between male and female. In the Judeo-Christian perspective, the division of the human race into two sexes is not a result of a, a punishment per se, but is part of the original and very good design of the world. Remember what Benedict XVI said in God is Love. We talked about this some months ago, where he said, in the biblical narrative, the idea is certainly present that man is somehow incomplete, driven by nature to seek in another the part that can make him whole. The idea that only in communion with the opposite sex can he be complete. The biblical account thus concludes with a prophecy about Adam. We could go to Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. It's a great piece from Benedict XVI. In other words, man finds a certain completion in giving himself fully to a woman and woman in giving herself fully to man. A gift so intimate that the two become what? One flesh. Okay, dropping down now here to West's next little subpiece here, Eros yearning for infinity. You know, in the New Testament, we learn that this prophecy about Adam was ultimately a prophecy about who? Christ, the new Adam, the bridegroom, who would leave his father in heaven to become one flesh with his bride, the church. Paul draws this out in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. This is an astounding proclamation, really, when you think about it, huh? And a powerful image when you start talking about leaving to become united. The Christian faith proclaims not only that God loves us, but that God loves us in such an intimate way that the Scripture compares that love to the love of husband and wife in their most intimate embrace. In fact, God made us as sexual beings, as men and women with a desire for union, precisely to tell the story of his love for us. In the biblical view, the fulfillment of love between the sexes emerges as this great foreshadowing of something quite literally out of this world. Huh? As Pope Benedict XVI put it, erotic love is meant to provide not just fleeting pleasure, but also a certain foretaste of the pinnacle of our existence, of that beatitude, and beatitude defined here as blissful happiness for which our whole being yearns. When you listen to these words, it's hard not to think about those words that so candidly came to us from John Paul II in one of his reflections in Theology of the Body, specifically 
when he was reflecting into the language of the body as it relates to the consummative act itself. Now listen to what he says here. Through gestures and reactions, through the whole dynamism of tension and enjoyment, whose direct source is the body in its masculinity and femininity, the body in its action and interaction, through all this, man, the person, speaks precisely on the level of this language of the body. Man and woman reciprocally express themselves in the fullest and most profound way made possible for them by their masculinity and femininity. I mean, when you listen to Benedict XVI reflect into the purpose of eros and how it's a foretaste to share in this heavenly bliss, indeed, Benedict reflecting with John Paul II is hammering home a point for all of us, one that I think ought to be something that grips us on the deepest level. At this point, as we're reflecting upon this, there's uh, an interesting reflection given to us by Christopher West, where he turns to a former professor of his who was a physicist turned Catholic priest, and he says this, We talk about different sexual orientations in human life, but the ultimate orientation of human sexuality is what? But the human heart's yearning for infinity. As this Catholic priest notes, human sexuality, therefore, is a sign of eternity. That's beautiful. This means, my friends, that sex is just not about sex. (laughs) As we learn to read the story of our bodies as male and female, what do we discover? But that sex is meant to point the way to the ultimate fulfillment of our every desire. Now, let us clarify. This is not to say that sexual activity is itself our ultimate fulfillment. That's the major mistake the world is making today. I know many of you out there have asked me questions that are tied to that simple point. No, when you remove God from the bedroom, you have a problem. Let us never forget that most salient truth that comes to us from a reflection on the Trinity, one that is captured by the Catechism. If you were to go to paragraph 221, we read, God himself is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has destined us to share in that exchange. When male and female come together, open to life, and bear life, they leave footprints to the Trinity and share in that very life, which is, again, a life of bliss. When we aim our desire for infinity as something less than infinity, and in this case, sex, we are inevitably left wanting. We are left disillusioned and in the end, disappointed. But again, if that consummative act is meant to be a sign, a foreshadowing of something else, which it is, there is where we find fulfillment. Christopher West says this, in short, (laughs) that combustible force called Eros is meant to be the fuel that launches our rocket toward the infinite. And it goes on to say, from this perspective, It's all the more meaningful, recalling some of our subject matter from last week, 
that NASA scientists launched Beethoven's Ode to Longing out into the far reaches of the galaxy, looking, hoping, groping, perhaps, for some answer to the question, what are we human beings looking for? What are we to do with that deep ache we feel inside for something? This is most provocative. You know, this subject matter ought to have us thinking more critically, not only about our relationship with God, but certainly for those of us who are married, about how we see our spouses in light of God. This has to be ever before us as we explore this subject matter. I'm certainly convinced of that, and I know many of my conversations with so many of you out there have been tied to that. So we talk about all this, and certainly we talk about it in the context of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, how we are called to evangelize and catechize. But what about our spouses? Well, we evangelize our spouses by first being evangelized by God, and that's what opens us up to better serve our spouses and to be present to our spouses as God calls us to be present to them. Okay, so as Christopher West says and concludes with this chapter, (laughs) it seems to me we have three choices, three offerings held out by three distinct Gospels. The word gospel, of course, meaning good news, as, we've, as we just touched upon. Everyone, he says, is searching for some good news, some promise of happiness. Each of the three gospels that, as he notes, I'll outline in this book, offers a promise of happiness determined by a specific orientation of our desire, a specific invitation for how to direct or how to deal with our hunger. I put gospel in quotes, however, because not every promise held out to us is truly good news. Each of the three gospels purports to be good news, but it's up to us to test each one, poke holes in it, see if it holds water, see if it pans out. And he calls these three gospels the starvation diet, fast food, and the banquet. So ultimately what Christopher West wants us to see is that These different Gospels lay claim to our love and allegiance by orienting our desire in a given direction. And the direction we choose to direct our desire will determine our approach to, well, pretty much everything. If we are seeking happiness, the question is this. Is our desire directed toward that which truly satisfies, toward that which is truly fulfilling? If not... We will need to redirect our desire towards that which does satisfy, or at least to that gospel that offers us a trustworthy hope of satisfaction. In short, if we are to find satisfaction of that universal human longing, we must learn how to direct our desire according to God's design so that it, as Christopher West puts it, launches us to our destiny. That's the journey of what this book is about. And so over the course, again, of the next several months, we will be looking at this closely, reinforcing past subject matter while, by the grace of God, gaining new insights into the richness that is theology of the body. Again, if you have any questions out there, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the 
contact link button there and send your email on its way. Okay, with that, let us go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.